Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 58, the countdown to the resumption of the 2021 WSL Championship Tour continues with the fleet of staff and surfers currently packing for their trip across the pond and the Australian surfing community preparing to tease them mercilessly during their 14 days in quarantine. Several of those community members have already served their time. While we wait, though, the WSL is continuing to release content from Getting Heated to our episodes here at The Lineup to a special docuseries dropping tomorrow, which features today's guest. All right, episode 58. Today's guest is someone who is an absolute product of his environment, the high-performance hotbed of Hokipa on Maui. One of the more well-rounded surfers our sport has ever produced with head-turning performances in everything from two feet to 20 feet, which is actually 70 feet. He's a four-time winner of the Jaws Challenge Big Wave event, which is absolutely incredible. And the starring subject of the Billy docuseries dropping tomorrow at worldsurfleague.com and on the WSL YouTube channel. Please enjoy the lineup's conversation with Hawaii's Billy Kemper. The good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? You can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once. Let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. It's out of your boxes. The Billy Kemper on today's episode of The Lineup. Thanks for joining us, man. Thank you. Um, it's been an honor. Big fan of your guys' show and just uh, anything to do with surfing, I'm happy to be a part of. Right on, dude. And how are you doing today? Where are you today? Who are you with? I'm doing good. I uh, just picked up my kids from school, kind of taking it easy. It's been absolute nonstop pumping waves the last few days and uh Definitely got a few bumps and bruises that are keeping me out of the water and just catching up with the family time and getting really excited for uh, what I'm about to release in the next week. Right on, man. And how many kids you got that you have to pick up from school? <laughs> I pick up three kids from school on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from Sunset Elementary. And then Tuesdays and Thursdays are is when my three-year-old's in preschool, so I pick him up on those days. So. <laughs> It's a it's nonstop at the Kemper compound. Let's just say that. I'm sure, and it must be like such a surreal experience for the, both the kids and the teachers, and probably you as well with Sunset Beach Elementary, because so many kids of so many kind of legendary surfers go there. So like the pickup line must just be like a who's who of the surfing world. Some days, do you ever notice that? Yeah, it's pretty rad. I mean, I don't think you're going to see an elementary school like Jack Johnson rolling up in like (laughs) barefoot on a beach cruiser, Freddie P, uh, Makua, Ross, everyone. It's it's pretty sick. It's also just really unique that there's such a rad, you know, education system here in such a surf community. It's um, it's a pretty beautiful thing. And um, I myself went there, so it's pretty cool to see my kids now being there. All the teachers and principals know me as the the trouble trouble <laughs> troublemaker. So I think they're looking at my kids um, in pretty disbelief how well behaved my kids are compared <laughs> to me. They're they're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. They're probably just uneasy the whole time. Exactly. So I was trying to think of the last time you and I um, hung, and I know we we saw each other briefly 
at pipe during the pipe trials. But I think the last time we actually hung and talked, it was, I was doing a 10 day stint up in Lemoore for the shooting of the ultimate surfer. And you came up for a guest spot and you spent some time in the tub and you, you were ripping. And I, I think it was one of your first sessions back after your surgeries and rehab. Is that right? Did I remember that right? Yeah, that was actually first, first time touching wax. Yeah, that was uh, that was a really special special few days for me. Um, it was really cool being a part of that that reality TV show. Really looking forward to the airing of that. And on a side note, just having a couple days to you know, WSL has been such a massive help for me during this whole road to recovery. And to be able to use the you know the surf ranch as like a tool to getting back to surfing. I mean. I think that's the future, you know, of, of having, you know, man-made waves where, you know, you're not going to, you know, there's no crowds, there's no backwash. There's so many variables that you take out. It was as good as a, you know, a welcoming could be. I was super stoked and that was a really emotional few days. And yeah, it was, it was really cool sharing some waves with you. You talked about it being the first time you'd actually touched wax since the injury and you know, I'm not blowing smoke here. Like you were surfing better than a lot of the competitors in the actual show, you know? And, and I wanted to, to pick your brain a little bit about like, did you think you were going to surf that well when you came back the first time? Was it something that you, you took it easy on the first few waves and just got more comfortable as the days went on? You know, you take out a lot of the people that are in my circle of helping me get to where I am. And I don't think I would have had the ability to surf, let alone the mental state of mind that I, I grew throughout this injury. Um, there was some sports psychiatrists, just a few people, people like my Michael Gervais, you know, the list goes on. There's a handful of people, Matt and Sheree Chan. These people not only help prep my body, but they also help prep my brain and just understanding and like the visualizing part of this whole component and I think that's something that a lot of people don't take into consideration as much as they should. That just, you know, not putting deadlines down, but just putting down big goals like and, and making sure, you know, all those goals were were overcoming. So that was that was a part of the plan um, as far as how I, you know, looked at my return to surfing. I felt good out there, but I, I was scared, you know, <laughs> Um I definitely, I wasn't ready to to jump into that event and surf against some of those competitors and watching them surf. You know, I thought they were performing at a really, really high level. And uh, it was pretty funny. Jesse, she was, uh, she was surfing so damn well too. And it, it was, you know, as how the, the show works, um, a male and a female, you know, our kind of teammates going through this thing. I was like, let's get a wild card. It was like kind of the, <laughs> the side jokes from Elo and a couple of the guys up there. But um, there was so much work done just in to, up until that point, let alone what happened after that to get to me where I am now. You can, as a surfer, you know, there's nowhere to test your body, but but on a wave, you know, where it's like every other sport, skateboard, whatever, you know, like, yeah, they can, you know, it's right there on land, you know, everything's man-made courts, fields, tracks, whatever it is, parks, you know, it's all man-made where what we do is, in, you know, with mother nature up until recent years with these wave pools. So it's like, you know, there's so many questions through all the physical therapy, the training, the pool workouts, 
everything. Like, how's your knee? How's this going to work? Like mm. all those things that run through your mind. So that was a huge, uh, that trip for me, when I seen you, basically, I was just running through a big mental checklist, like ticking the boxes on, on what feels good and what I need to work on. And it was kind of cool because most doctors probably wouldn't have been looking at this winter being, um, a return season for me where, I was looking like directly at the forefronts of it. Like I want to be ready before winter's here. And that's kind of why WSL and, you know, myself made that happen to where, you know, I could feel things out and see, you know, I mean, at this point we were hoping Jaws was going to run. We're mm-hmm. hoping all these events were going to run. And the whole goal was to have me ready to compete this winter. And I was ready, but you know, we didn't get the opportunity aside from the pipe masters. Well, so much of, your your journey back and i guess your whole story is is really beautifully laid out in this docu-series that comes out the first episode comes out the day after this podcast launches so it's called billy everyone should check that out but really the start of this was pretty much a life-threatening injury you suffered in morocco and i guess again we won't we won't spoil the actual documentary but i do want to talk about morocco a little bit because i want to know from your perspective what were you trying to do out there and generally, how does that fit into your approach of being a professional surfer? Like, what was that trip about for you before the injury? So leading up to that trip, the week before was the Vulcan Pipe Pro kicked off in amazing waves. I had like one of the better heats I've ever had out of pipe. And then um, the next day was finals day and it was like three foot and howling onshore wind. It was horrible. Long story short, I ended up losing. Koa Smith lost. Me and him are great friends. And I got a text from him and he's like, what should we do now? I was like, let's, let's go somewhere really far away and get barreled. Like let's disconnect from the North shore. I had been coming off probably the best run I've ever had in surfing. Um, just with some, you know, personal achievements of riding some life, you know, life changing waves to wins. You know, there's a lot that I was, that I was going through that I don't think too many people know about. And you guys will see that in the documentary you know, just family, all kinds of stuff. And, uh, I just, I felt like I, I really deserved just stepping out of my comfort zone and just going somewhere new and just enjoying, you know, enjoying being present and scoring some good waves with some of my best friends. So myself, Koa Smith and Luke Davis flew across the world to Northern Africa, to Morocco, and were picked up by, um, a longtime friend. And, uh, now, you know, the, a true brother of mine, Jerome, who's uh, to me, he's like the the king of Morocco, just absolute mm-hmm. surf rother. And he showed us around, took us to probably the best sessions we've ever had in some of the better waves we've seen in our entire lifetime. So that being said, it was, uh, it was a trip of a lifetime. And at the end of the trip, I, I fell uh, in a really bad place on a wave and severe amount of injuries from a broken pelvis to, you know, lung collapsing, destroyed my knee there's so many you know injuries to list off and end up going through you know four three to four surgeries stem cell treatments a lot it uh it definitely put my life at risk and this is kind of what this documentary is going to be about is you know it's not only about the road to recovery but it's also about you know it's more so about when your life is at risk from who you love by just doing truly what you actually love doing. And for me, that's surfing and it put my life at risk. And it's, uh, yeah, you know, the, the moral to the story is to 
to definitely inspire and motivate the future. Um, when I was hurt, I was, you know, laying in a hospital bed and, you know, just wondering, just, you know, questioning everything, being really lonely, thinking that I'm the only surfer who's ever went through something like this. And, you know, just realizing that nobody in our community has re really put together like a serious, like an inspirational doc or something that's, mm. you know, on the lines of returning after a life-threatening situation. And, you know, I have a close friend, basically. I mean, I, I, I have a, a little sister, Coco Ho, and her boyfriend is basically the best snowboarder on planet earth right now. <laughs> and he went through a serious life-threatening injury and he was one of the first people to reach out to me and just like really motivating. And I watched his documentary that they did on his recovery and his injury. And I was just in awe of how, how much bright light it brought to me. And that's kind of what fired me up to, to do what we've done. You know, like I think a lot of listeners are so interested, not just in surfing, but the idea of professional surfing, because it's it's really impenetrable for a lot of people. You know, some people understand, well, Kelly Slater's won a lot of world titles and Laird Hamilton surfs big waves and is into breathing and coffee. But you yourself have done unquestionable. There you go. <laughs> it's good coffee. But like you yourself have done like unquestionably Herculean historic things, you know, four-time Jaws winners, never even get close to being replicated. But people don't really understand how incredibly versatile you are. You know, you're, you're a really well-accomplished QS surfer. You're great small wave surfer. Was that part of the trip to Morocco for you? Or was it just a simply like, I've had a good run. I need to check out. I'm going to go chase some waves. Or was there something else kind of in the professional surfing side for you? Yeah, you know, being on a surfboard, you gotta, you gotta remember that why we started doing this, you know, no matter how much money it, it provides and what opportunity it brings, like truly, why do we surf for the love of it? You know, it just gives you a feeling that's unprescribable. And uh, that's kind of what the, the trip, you know, blossomed from. And it turned into, a, you know, I was on a trip I had actually been talking to WSL about doing some strike mission trips and there was this massive swell going to the Atlantic ocean and the Nazareth event was on standby and they had asked me if I wanted to do it leading up to it. And I just, you know, <laughs> I don't, it's not that I don't respect Nazareth. I just, I have absolutely no desire to, to chase it. And for me chasing the best, most perfect waves, whether they're, you know, 10 foot faces or 80 foot faces. I just love surfing perfect waves with my friends. And I like surfing waves of consequence that get my adrenaline up. And they're, they're strike missions. They're last minute trips. We pull the trigger and we fly across the world and get absolutely barreled. And that's what this trip was. And uh, I was talking to WSL about doing these strike mission trips, you know, now that there wasn't a full big wave tour, they wanted to get a bit more involved on a content um, side of things and creating some really cool media for the fans. And that's kind of what we did. We went on a trip to go get some amazing content for WSL to put together a really cool story on the strike mission. And, um, you know, it's all, it's all having fun, but while working at the same time. So it's uh it's a perfect balance. And, you know, those kind of trips are what balance me as a human. We talked a little bit about before, but people kind of like to pigeonhole, you know, everything, you know, that that person's a competitor, that person's a big wave guy. And, and, you know, we can talk about your versatility, but 
you mentioned before that that part of the docu series is is sort of a portrait of you know, mental strength and perseverance and visualization, and that's knowing you and having been around you uh, professionally for as long as I have, like that seems to be a through line throughout your entire career since before you were a big wave surfer, through your big wave surfing, into your injury recovery. How long has that been kind of an active part of your life in terms of, you know, the visualization aspect or the mental aspect of just being a professional? How long has that been a part of, of what you've done? That all comes from my upbringing and the the people who raised me. Um, I'm just a product of my environment, you know, like without my surroundings, there'd be no Billy Kemper, you know, that, that mindset, that visualization, the manifesting, that all came from the upbringing. And it's something I've said before, you know, it's like, no matter how dark life can be, no matter how challenged you are, there's always some sort of light. I don't care who you are and where you are. There's, you can find a light. It's just how, how deep are you willing to dig to find it? And at a young age, I lost my mentor, my older brother. Um, I was eight years old when I lost my brother, Eric. And at, you know, in 1998, when that happened, he was at the forefront of amateur surfing. I mean, his, his competitors were Andy and Bruce and Kaimana Henry and like Kalani Rob. And you can ask every one of those guys, you know, aside from obviously we've lost Andy, but like you can ask Bruce, Kaimana, Kalani, like my brother used to smash those guys. Like he was light years ahead of his generation. And I, I wanted, you know, I wanted his confidence and I wanted his mentality. And when he passed, um, I think that was something that was kind of left with me at a young age was just this mindset of, you know, outworking people and just focusing on being my best, not the best Billy that you think of, you know, like just forgetting about what everybody says, forgetting about what people care about and just being like, you know, I, I want to be the best version of me and what do I believe that is? And that came from, you know, the upbringing and, the, the raising of my mom, Lisa, my older brother, Eric, my brother, Carl, who's still with me. He's here on Maui. You know, I have, I, it's crazy. I have a really small family, but I have the biggest family in the world too. I have, you know, so many brothers that aren't blood, but for me, that's stronger than anything with blood. So I'm, I, um, I'm in a great place and I couldn't have picked a better, a better herd of wolves to raise me. <laughs> And you grew up in Haiku, Maui, right? Yeah, I was born um, actually on, I, I was living on this beach house in Kuau, which is right next to Hokipa, mm -hmm. and just kind of bounced back and forth from Kuau right there at Tavares Bay to up in Haiku. And my parents separated at a young age, so I was kind of all over the place and then eventually moved here when I was eight years old. You know, you mentioned, you know, losing your brother and, and you know, losing Andy and, and, Surfing is just one of those things where we've all experienced it. We've all had friends that we've we've lost. Did that? Did losing your brother at such a young age impact the way you looked at life outside the water in terms of like what you did or how you partied or any of that? Did, did that ever? Did do you think that impacted how you did that? A hundred percent. Like you know, I can. So many of my friends and peers and idols went down the road of whether it was synthetic or street drugs. You know, opiates took over a big part of the surfing community and a lot of my friends and you know my brother overdosed from heroin mm -hmm. at eight years old to like 
you know, I still, I still hear like, you know, the fights in the screaming of my mom and my brother and that stuff like haunt haunted me, you know? And it's like, I've never, you know, I've never been one to go down that route or get stuck in, in the, in that trap. Um, it, it made a, it was a huge impact on my upbringing. Did I party and have fun? Fuck. Yeah. You know, mm. I had a, I had a hell of a time. I, <laughs> I, I enjoyed myself. I enjoyed my teenager years. I enjoyed my early twenties. Um, now my celebrations are a completely different direction, but, uh, you know, it's, it's the people who, who learn from their mistakes. I feel like are the ones who are really successful. You know, it's like what happens today don't happen tomorrow. And that's, that's kind of how I've taken it from the beginning. I've never taken, I've never taken losses as losses. I've taken them as just another learning, an, another learning mistake that I'll uh, have to take on and not make that mistake again. Yeah, it's one of those things like we talk about a lot. It came out a lot after after Andy's passing, and, and people found out that he ended up he was diagnosed bipolar after the fact, but. Surfing is, even as an activity, kind of one of those up and down things. You're either like up and riding and you have this amazing feeling or you're just kind of sitting there or you even get to go surfing or you're not or being a professional surfer, you're riding the high of winning competitions or losing. And it's it's really hard to level out, even if you're not a professional surfer. You, you see it all the time and and you see that happen with substance abuse a lot. How have you in your own life figured out that leveling? And I guess, would you even agree with that you have to kind of figure it out? Have you experienced kind of the high lows, especially being such an accomplished big wave surfer? Yeah, I, I was, you know, it's crazy. I was just talking to my wife about this. Um, and it's not even off of like, you know, the, yeah, the highs and lows of winning, like and losing, like it's it's hard and it to have control of it. I don't think anybody has control. I mean, maybe Kelly, because he's, <laughs> the the goat <laughs> and uh but it, it just you know for me it's like we get these crazy big wave runs like these swells of just like for instance this last weekend you know valentine's day day before valentine's saturday sunday monday at pipeline were like craziness non-stop 10 12 foot hawaiian and just adrenaline spiking redlining for three days straight yesterday i felt like i just ran like the iron man and just like everything or like you know like i had a big night when i was 21 years old and i was hung over for three days after like mm. that's how you feel and it's um for me you know i've i've learned so much with the fitness side of things and i just truly believe that you know the amount that you work on your body it, it gives back to your mind and your brain of the mental state and you know the come downs from these big adrenaline runs of big wave events or, you know, a big win or, you know, a hard loss at stuff. Like you start to get a really good grasp on your, your mental strength, the harder, well, at least for my, myself, the harder I train, the more work I put in. I just, I have, there's so much more self-belief. And I think when you have that, you can control your, your brain and your mindset a bit more. And, you know, I, I definitely, there's all kinds of little tools I use for recovery stuff that, um, you know, stimulates my brain to definitely keeping me nice and mellow on the, the come downs of those big runs as well. Do you feel like becoming a father and, and being there for your kids is helped in that perspective, you know, in between? 
Yeah, that's a, that's the ultimate secret. That's the secret sauce. <laughs> yes, yeah. you, you know, um, it's funny, and I think that might be one of the reasons why I haven't drank in almost two years now. Is, <laughs> um, you know, dealing with a, a screaming like two year old when you're have a big night in Hollywood and you go to your sister in law's the next day to go pick up your child after she babysat. Like, dude, it that, those days are done. It doesn't. <laughs> they don't exist anymore. Um, you know, obviously it, it, you know, you got to celebrate and enjoy yourself, but yeah, you know, kids are the ultimate re reward. They're the, the gift that keep, keep giving in life. And, um, it's definitely just made me so much stronger as a, as a human aside, you know, you take all the surfing, all that stuff and shove it out the window and just look at like the everyday life. Like they made me, I'm, I'm a total different human now that I have kids, you know, I thought I knew what strong was. I thought I knew what fear was like, you don't know shit until you have kids. That's kind of how I look at it. And that's just my opinion. I mean, people might argue me, people might not ever have kids, but that's how I look at life. And it's also definitely, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a positive distraction off of like coming home from a huge swell. Like, you know, I can't, I come home from two days at Jaws and I walk straight in the door to my three-year-old jumping on me and wanting me to, you know, read I spy books with him. Or yeah. like, you, you know, like that's the kind of shit like that, that I go through and all within, you know, eight hours of certain, you know, sometimes it's within four hours of surfing, you know, 60 to 80 foot jaws straight into watching my three-year-old and, you know, changing diapers. It's like that balance has taken so much of that mental, like stress off, you know, it's like, you don't have time for it. It's just like, you're, you're either there or you're not. And it's, it's my job to be present and be the absolute best version of myself while I'm on land with my children, but also while I'm in the water, you know, doing what I love to do. Yeah, that makes sense. I would not argue on that. I'm, I'm church a Kemper on the fatherhood thing all the way. We've got a lot more to dig into, but we're going to take a quick break uh, to get a word in from our sponsors. We'll be right back. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. All right, so we're coming back. I, I want to dig a little bit deeper into the building blocks that built Billy Kemper. So growing up on Maui, you're coming from a, a really storied surfing community. What was it like when you were growing up? At what point did you say, I want to be a professional surfer. This is going to be my life. This is going to be my career. And also, I'm curious, what was the dimension? Did you very early on see yourself as like, I'm going to be a big wave hero? Or were you like, I'm going to be a world champ or I'm going to do the QS? Like, what was it when you were young? And at what point did you decide this is my career path? I mean, so for me, I was I was born into a family who was surrounded by the ocean. Uh, whether it was surfing, fishing, spearfishing, sailing, commercial fishing, you know, like my mom made bikinis. My dad was a commercial fisherman. Like my brother, Eric was, when I was born, he was 10 years old. The year after I was born, he went to NSSA nationals at Lowers and was the first person to ever win two titles uh, in one year. He was at the forefront of amateur surfing, just absolutely destroying every competition. And so, you know, being, having my older brother, like, as kind of mentors, not brothers, they're 10, 10 and 12 years older than me. So there was no, there was no competitiveness against me against them. Like I had no chance. So that being said, these guys were like the ringleaders. These are all the, they were my idols. And my brother, Eric was, um, I just wanted to be him. I, his personality, the amount of people who loved him and like everyone just wanted to hang with my brother, Eric. And that was so inspiring. Like I, all I wanted to be growing up was was Eric, and um, that was, you know, the foundation of putting a competitive mindset in Billy Kemper's brain, putting, you know, okay, he wants to be like his older brother. He's going to have to work his ass off. He's going to have to surf hard. This kid's special. He's My brother was naturally gifted. He was born talented, you know, and I don't think I was born with the ability that he had, but I was born with a a strong mindset. And that came, you know, you, you, you know, I was, I was built one with my mom's raising and my brother's, you know, lead of example and footsteps to follow. Um, just having that in my mom, it really led me into, you know, I just, I didn't really have any options when I was really young. I was just surfing. I was in the ocean. I was around a good group of kids and that group of kids ended up being the best kids in the world. You know, I was surfing with, Clay Marzo, Dusty Payne, Kai Barger, Matt Miola, Albie Lair, Nalu Wallace, Granger Larson. I mean, the list goes on and on. Above us, Ian Walsh, Tom Doslin, like mm-hmm. Shane Magnuson. There was unlimited amount of talent on Maui at this point. And, you know, at that time, you know, my early kid years from, you know, starting competing, I probably started competing in little events around four years old, three years old. And then really pushing the amateur stuff from, you know, the years of eight to, you know, eight and on, I was not at the top of the pecking order. Like as far as, you know, podium results, it was rare when I got a a trophy, but when I did, like, it felt so good. I, you know, I can remember those wins because there wasn't many of them, but like when I did win, 
the waves were always bigger, the waves were always heavier, or it was barreling. And um, that's kind of like where I felt like I fit the best. But a lot of kids would get discouraged by that. But you kind of already outlined like you're, you're a worker, like so. So it never, but you never, I mean, and that's such like the the names you just rattled off are so talented, like naturally gifted, like winning, 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 and that never deterred you. You just were like, I'm just going to keep working and working and working. Yeah, I just I remember like every one of my friends at one point had a national title at NSSA Nationals, and I was like, I've never cracked the final out there. Like, are you kidding me? And it was just like. You know, growing up, nationals is like the pipe masters. It's totally, the biggest yeah. event ever. And you, you know, you you get to go battle against all the Cali kids, all the, you know, everyone from around the US. And it's it's such a big event. And that was discouraging for me. But it mm-hmm. just like I think it really it like kind of lit lit a fire to to focusing on, you know, like, okay why do I stand out in these, you know, the Honolulu Bay events? Why do I send out the events over on Oahu at sunset? Um, you know, like I started to see, and I was just like, okay, I'm not a, like a toothpick kid. I'm not skinny. I'm a big heavier set kid. I surfed with power and, you know, strength rather than like finesse and, mm-hmm. and progression, you know, obviously, yeah, I was always trying to do errors and doing all the, like, you know, surfing like a kid should, but that wasn't my calling. You know, I felt like barrels were everything rather mm-hmm. than my friends were doing rotators and punts, you know, left and right. Matt Miola was in the craziest airs and clay and just everyone. And uh, one of my friends, Nalu Wallace, he was a couple years older than me. He's like a brother more so than anything, just a real leader. He was crazy. He had, uh, he's just had so much more balls than all of us, whether we're riding like, bmx bikes and in, in like on a jump in the backyard or like jumping off cliff jumps like into the ocean doing gainers or surfing he just was like balls to the wall and he had this interest okay he started serving pipe like heavy pipe and pushing it then he served jaws and i just like i don't know at a young age i just i really i think i i you know obviously having a family that took me to the cliffs of jaws and watching like the strap crew out there at the, you know, the pioneering years of, of surfing jaws with Laird and double D buzzy Kerbox, Dave Kalama, that whole crew that like, I started looking at them as like superheroes. Like these guys are Superman, Spider-Man, Batman. Like these are the most badass human beings on earth. Like who's, who's Michael Jordan? Who's, you know, Babe Ruth? Who are these guys? Bro, like, I want to be these guys, not those guys. Like Mm. the people I see on TV, I was like, that looks boring. Like, I want to go ride these mountains. Like these guys, these guys are astronauts. And that was that, like, when I look back at growing up, you know, that's what really fired me up was just the group of people and where I fell into place of, of my upbringing and the community and my surfing. I just, I don't know. I felt I felt more alive when the waves got bigger. And I think that just snowballed into, you know, a bigger wave this winter, a bigger wave that year, you know, toe and surfing, Jaws, Waimea, you know, da, 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 and world champ. You know, <laughs> just like that, everyone. You know, it sounds like you you gravitated towards where and 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 successfully so to where you were most comfortable. You mentioned, you know, getting barreled, you mentioned Jaws. They're not, I'm wondering just, and you're the expert, 
they're kind of two different specialties, right? Like if you're looking at pipe or you're looking at jaws, did one come before the other for you in your career? Did you, cause you said you went to saw jaws really, really early on, but for you, was it, I'm going to get really good out of pipe or I'm going to get really good out of jaws, which one came first or, or were they, or were they related for you? Well, I mean, for me, jaws was, uh, that was like something I told my parents I wanted to do and they would just like turn their head and like, no way. <laughs> and that did like, I always, I've used this phrase so many different times to people is like how I can explain like my interest of jaws was, you know, I'm sure like if you live, let's just take, you know, if you live in long beach, California, or you live in Los Angeles and you're going to elementary school and you play on the t-ball team, you're playing softball. At some point, if you have quite a bit of interest in playing baseball, I'm sure your dad or somebody's going to take you to a Dodgers game, you know, get some nosebleed seats and go watch the the pros hammer some balls. And that is kind of what happened to me with Jaws being my arena and not the Dodgers stadium. You know, it's mm. like, oh, I want to surf. I love surfing. And Oh, there's a huge swell. Billy, you want to go watch Jaws? Like, let's go watch Laird and all the, all your uncles, you know, it's like sick. So it was kind of like a tradition of going up there and watching it with my mom and my brother and my dad never owned growing up. It's like those big days we'd go reverse a truck in and we'd watch, you know, the pioneers take over. I, I mean, that's, a, I really like that metaphor, but to continue it and apply it to what you've done out at Jaws, right? Like, yeah, sure. Like my dad take me to Dodger Stadium and I go, yeah, I want to play baseball. I'm not looking at the stadium and being like, you know, what if it was twice as big? Or what if instead of a bat, I just like hit it with my hand? Like what they were doing when you saw the Strat crew is so radically different from the level that you took it to in your career with paddling, surfing and with, you know, the bowl section and getting barreled. Like did you visualize that from such a young age or like, where did that come from? You know, I was around Laird quite a bit at a young age. And I mean, his presence from there then till now has not changed. The guy's a lion. When he walks in a room, you're like, whoa, like mm. there's a different source of energy fueling from that guy. He's an alpha male. Like he, there's no doubt about it. The guy's a, uh, you know, <laughs> he's a king. And I just always, you know, I want, he was, he is the greatest surfer ever out at Jaws. He, that's his wave, you know? And mm. I just, I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to be the best out there. I wanted to, and you know, with being a competitor and, you know, my brother's competitive mindset rubbing off on me growing up and just wanting to compete. It just, you know, it, it climbed a ladder to a, a much bigger scale. And did I manifest, you know, riding the waves and paddling, no, I didn't think of any of that growing up. I just thought I wanted to toe out there. And it didn't go from me visual, like seeing it to paddling into ride of the year. You know, it went from, you know, my first day out there of piggybacking one jet ski, me, Albie, and Matt Miola all on one ski that <laughs> we like bought for a few thousand bucks, like, you know, divided up or Albie bought half of one. I don't know what the story was. Long story short, we got ourselves out there and we were so young and dumb. We couldn't even tow each other in. Like we had to hitchhike rides <laughs> and some of our, our mentors and the guys who looked, looked over us were just, uh, they're like, yeah, we'll whip you in on a couple. And that's just how it started. You know, they whipped us in and the, the next small day we'd practice, we'd practice on the outer reefs. And then we started towing each other in. And then we felt like 
we were, you know, the best out there. Like me and Albie, when we're, when I was, you know, my senior in high school from, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, like I don't, when me and him were, were out there surfing together, I'm pretty sure we just wanted to be better than each other. We had like Mm -hmm. this rivalry thing of who could get a deeper barrel. And I think that just great created a confidence in us to like, basically just have feeling that we could surf that wave better than anyone out there. And that, uh, continued to elevate and, you know, also on, you compared that to pipeline, you know, my mom moved me to the North shore when I was eight years old. So I was introduced to like Mm. barreling good waves, like VLAN and, and, you know, Rocky points, there's no barreling small waves on Maui. (laughs) The waves suck on Maui. It's, I mean, there's some of the best waves in the world, but it's so rare that they get good. So, you know, that being said, pipeline was definitely, I was surfing pipe, pipe and sunset is what, you know, introduced me to adrenaline and getting barreled and wanting Mm. to, to push the envelope in in what I wanted to do with my career. So, I mean, once I, I felt, you know, the feeling that barrels got, gave me and then being scared and really pushing it out at pipeline, it, it definitely like, it became one one big fuel. Do you think there is uh, a huge divide between toe surfing big waves and paddle surfing big waves? And if so, how did you bridge that from from what you described as as learning the ropes at towing in to, to paddling in? The toe surfing and paddle surfing are two different sports. Um, they should never be compared to me or like, yeah, you shouldn't compare them. I just feel like, you know, when you're, when you're using a machine that can go like 60, 70 miles per hour, it's just like, I mean, give me a break. Pa- surfing is with these two guys and one of these that's exactly what it is. You know, it's you against mother nature and it's just two different ways of riding a wave. And, you know, I obviously, you know, you never start surfing, toe surfing. I started paddling and I think I was, you know, around like 12 years old when double D took me out to phantoms and towed me into a wave. Maybe I was a little younger, 11, 12. And he towed me in those, you know, just nothing huge, probably like a, eight foot, 10 foot Hawaiian wave. And at that time that was huge for me, but I was mm. like, wow, did I envision myself paddling in the jaws at that age? No way. But I mm. definitely was like, all right, like I want to surf white man now. I want to toe surf. Like this is, I love this. And mm. you know, at, at that, at that age, you're not really comparing, you know, the two, the two paddle and towing. You're just learning is what you're doing. And you're, you're taking in all this knowledge. You don't know jack shit about lineups. You don't know about anything. It's all like every session was a, was an opportunity for me to learn and, and get more knowledge. And I was all ears when I was with double D and Laird and Dave and all them, you know, I was just trying to take in what they have been practicing. And, uh, you know, it, it ended up definitely my whole career and where I'm at right now in life is definitely revolves around paddle surfing for sure. If you had to describe the Jaws Challenge big wave event to an alien, how would you describe it? Who's there? What is it about? Like, what is it? An alien. Yeah, or anybody. Anybody um, that's anybody that's uninitiated. Let's put it that way. Let's just say if you don't know what surfing is, and I showed you the jaw the piahi challenge the like the finals i would say like hey you want to watch a handful of guys jump on the moon 
And what do you mean? Like, let, no, you want to watch a handful of guys go to space and dance around on the moon and come back perfectly safe. <laughs> Not saying that we always do come back home safe, but like, I mean, you got to look around realistically and the guys who are out there doing what they're doing. That's not, it's not common that you find humans with that, with that, you know, that energy and that level of commitment to, to fear and adrenaline. It's uh, it's really rare. And the, those individuals, you know, out there are very unique. I have a very special bond with each and every one of them as much as I absolutely want to destroy them when I put on a jersey. I love those guys and um, I'll do everything I can to make sure they come home safe. So it's a, it's a different bond and relationship that uh, that event holds than, than any, anything in the world. I, I love that answer. And the reason I'm asking is because you're absolutely right. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of times people in, in, for, in anything, you don't appreciate how important something is in the moment. It's usually through the lens of hindsight, often decades into the future. And what you've described is really accurate. Like, the collective of surfers that compete at that event are at such a high and radical and kind of un unfathomable level of ability. And so many crazy things have to align for that event to actually happen, right? So you're kind of putting the probability of A, the event happening, B, you being able to perform there, and C, you winning the event. It's so small even once. And yet you've done this four times it, it may be the hardest event on the planet to win it hasn't run that often and you've won it four times how do you explain that i have a hard time explaining why i didn't win the fifth one i'll just tell you that much <laughs> no um uh, i should have five i got four in a second but uh you know like i said i've i've said it out there in interviews and i just i put so much so much time like mentally towards that wave that when that event runs that's like my day of celebrating is how i look at it you know i really just try to enjoy myself and every and just really remind myself that every single morning every single day i've walked into a gym every single day i've done something that you know hurt my body temporarily i know that i'm putting myself through all of that in order to live my dreams. And, you know, part of, you know, one of the biggest dreams of my life is to be the best surfer ever out at Jaws. You know, I want to, I want to win every event I surf in out there. You know, when I am not, when you see me there, not in a Jersey one, I'm either not able to compete because I'm injured or two, I'm done. And that's it. You know, it's like, as long as I'm there, I, I should be winning. And when I'm done, I won't. It'll be the next kid who has my mentality and my mindset that'll that'll take that that trophy home. And yeah, it's just uh how much work are you willing to put your body through to endure a victory out at Jaws? And I feel like I have a good grasp on what it takes and I'm absolutely addicted to that wave. And uh I don't think there's anything or anyone in the world who can take away what I have with that wave. I mean, demonstrably, you have a good grasp on it. it. It's funny, I was talking to someone about this the other day and and you mentioned yourself how how competitive and focused you are. And we were comparing what it would be like to be competitive in a QS or a CT versus the event at JAWS. You know, if you're competitive at like a QS or a CT, like 
probably hassling for priority. Maybe there's an interference or whatever. It's like, and and my friend said, well, like if you're competitive at Jaws, like all that gets you is like an even more critical drop on like a 60 foot wave. You know, like it's, that is what your competitive competitiveness is earning you in competition. Yeah. I think that's what, that's what, how I've separated myself, you know, leading up to these big wave events before I had surfed in them, you know, I think Makua had won the world title the year before I got a, a invite because yeah, he won the world title and then they put jaws on the, on the, the tour the, the next year. Mm. And with jaws being in my backyard, first year as ever on tour, I got a wild card. There's a second event of the season. I'm, you know, local kid gets a wild card. I end up winning it. I end up shooting to number one on the rankings mm-hmm. and uh, they had to give me a wild card onto the next event, you know, long story short, I ended up getting second that year in the race. And that was just, uh, it was me cu- never surfing in a big wave event. I hadn't been invited to the eddy up until this point. Like I was fresh off of competing, you know, on the right here on the North shore, you know, this is all I had been doing leading up to this point. I graduated high school and was like, you know, I want to, the, my first QS event outside of Hawaii was at Ensenada down in Mexico as a two-star. And I got second in the final and I was like 16 years old. And I was like, whoa, like, this is what I want to do. Like, I, you know, I didn't even win, but it felt good. And, you know, a couple more events. I won the HIC event at Sunset, couple 1,000s, couple 3,000s, XL Pro. I started getting a handful of cool results, you know, even traveling, getting some results. I... I got second down at Porto in a 4,000 and uh, yeah, I was just really started, you know, understanding competitive surfing and the tactics and everything that came with that. And when I got this wild card into this Jaws event, <clears throat> you know, working with my trainer, my coach, Kahea, he's like, you know, it's another day out at sunset. How bad do you truly want this win? It's like, mm-hmm. what do you, what will you put yourself through to get the wave that'll win? And, you know, you just got to, you got to go farther and pass anyone else. And like you said, battling in a heat out at Jaws for priority or for positioning, you're battling against, you know, who, I don't know what the conditions are that day, but I mean, I've been out there in heats where it's been 70 foot faces, 80 foot faces, like, you know, that shit's, it's, it's on another level, but I feel like I was kind of the forefront of, of that momentum switch with the big wave surfing and that, that, you know, the tour, I don't think Greg and those guys had, had really dealt with somebody, um, on my level. Who's, who's been that deep with the QS. I was mm. just, you know, I came, I showed up and I didn't care if I needed a, a 1.5 or a nine to beat you. I was going to do everything mm. and anything to get that score to beat you, whether I had to power around you a hundred times or, paddle you deeper than anyone like I and that's that's been my mindset is like you know I'm gonna win I don't care how what's the difference uh competing at it Jaws versus competing at it Waimea for the Eddie and and all things being equal say you're an equal number of wins or, or or no wins at either which would mean more to you winning Jaws or winning the Eddie well I've never surfed in the Eddie so mm-hmm. this is like you know as crazy as it sounds the Eddie Aikau is the most valuable event in the entire world for me so many reasons you know what is what is big wave surfing without Waimea what is mm-hmm. big wave surfing without Eddie Aikau what is 
big wave surfing without the Eddie Aikau Invitational. You know, you check three things off the list right there. Then you go to my upbringing in my childhood. My last memory I had with my brother, Eric, um, was him telling me that if there was one contest he could win, it would be the Eddie. And that stuck with me from that day on. And, you know, up until just a few years ago, there hadn't even been a surfer from Maui invited to the event. You know, in the recent years we had, I mean, Ian Walsh got in, he surfed once and Kai and myself have been invited now and we haven't even gotten an opportunity to surf in it. So that event is one event that, that stands far, far alone than any event in the world and i uh i'm i'm very very blessed to to be in invite now and i just uh waiting for the day to get the call you mentioned before how many talented surfers come out of maui and it, it is mind-blowing um and you just mentioned another one uh in kai lenny uh kai lenny's a huge sort of imprint on the media world from a surfing standpoint um accomplished out at jaws as well in a different way who's the better jaws surfer you or kai does he ever beat me out there i'm looking at the records he's uh not a big wave champion and you have four wins out at jaws and he doesn't have any yet i have a second ian beat me out there one year and um is he you know that that's all opinion um you know and that's another thing too is like contests winning contests don't mean you're the best surfer out there and, you know, I won't say that I'm a better surfer than him out there, but I will say that he won't beat me out there. <laughs> and um, that's, you know, you can say that with anyone, Nathan, you know, Kai, um, Lucas, you know, those are, you know, Chumbo and Nathan Florence and Kai Lenny. Those three are, those three are pushing big wave surfer surfing harder than anyone. Those are the mm. three tapas kids, you know, of, of our, our generation. You know, I know, that those three hold strengths, you know, in certain scenarios that are higher than me. But I think that I have a different mindset and mentality to, to get wins and to do what I love to do and do it for the people that, uh, that helped me get me here. You know, I think when you look at Kai Lenny, you look at like a new age Laird, you know, there's with, you know, with a bit, you know, Laird is actually so damn competitive that he couldn't even compete because he, I don't think he could ever handle somebody beating him that's how competitive he is kai is a different you know i think kai's learning to to competitive surfing um you know obviously i grew up competing on a shortboard the qs whatnot he grew up competing on a windsurf board stand-up board kiteboard all that stuff so as far as a waterman i mean there's nobody pushing them below the way kai lenny is it, you fucking you can't argue that it's crazy um it's it's really inspiring a huge theme, and we brought this up a few times already in this conversation with you, is you know visualization and actualization, and what you've done in your life to transform into, yeah, I'll say it, the best big big wave surfer on the planet, the the most successful jaws surfer on the planet, or even looking at the way you've recovered from your injury and the visualization and actualization that went into that, and and the aforementioned versatility in in your ability as a surfer. You know, you're a young man, it's 2021. Well, where do you think you can take your life and your career as a professional surfer? I mean, do you want to qualify for the championship tour? Do you want to 
do more videos? Do you want to push the boundaries in big wave surfing further? What what drives you uh, in 2021? 2021, you know, as as you just kind of marked on the injury side of things, you know, that was uh, that took a big toll on my life. You know, not only on my body physically, but like mentally, took me to dark places, and it's hard on my family. You know, it's mm. the first time that they realize what honestly could you know what the consequences are of what i do and um is it stopping me from doing what i'm doing no is it changing my approach mm, in some ways for sure you know probably as in stronger and and better ways but as far as my future and what i see and you know the ct has been asked so many times to me i i competed i've done the qs and i love competing like i would you know this actually I was planning on going to Piha, that uh, that 10,000 prime event in uh, New Zealand right after Morocco, but with COVID and everything, all that stuff got canceled. And am I done competing on the QS? No way. Um, but my goals right now are far from being on the CT. If the opportunity presented itself with, uh, you know, I've had a handful of good runs here in Hawaii during the Triple Crown. And, you know, when you go into the first quarter of the year, if if I end Hawaii, you know, in the top 50, then I probably will do a couple 10,000s. You know, I know like I'll pick and choose some waves that I feel like suit my surfing just with a bit more water moving around, heavier water. If there's barrel opportunity, I'll go to those waves and come triple crown time, you know, who knows? It's definitely that is at the pinnacle of, of my results as a triple crown title. You know, I feel like I've learned so much in the last five years of surfing Haleiwa more than anything. And I think that's where like, I kind of, I didn't struggle, but I just, I had a lot to learn and I'm still learning. I've just put in a lot of time at Haleiwa. I'm very confident out at sunset. I've had a handful of wins out there, quite a bit of finals and my, you know, my everything from my equipment to, to my mindset and, and confidence with my trainer and coach Kahea out at sunset is I feel pretty unstoppable out there. And then pipelines, pipeline, you know, I love that wave more than anywhere in the world. And I love competing out there. I've had great su success. So, you know, just looking at, at the way the year unfolds and how it starts, I always, you know, I have a couple people like Dino and Dino, a couple people who are always barking in my <laughs> ear um, about chasing the QS and giving the CT a shot, but it's uh you know, it's definitely not like something that I'm focused on. It's just, you know, to be prepared in case, you know, get a couple, you know, good results on the road. You know, if I can handpick, you know, if there's a event in Oz, I'll go down there, surf that, and then maybe sneak off to South Oz with a handful of friends and try to chase some slabs. So it's definitely always on my mind, um, but not something I'm trying to do by any means. I'm just, for me right now, I'm focusing on on being present as the best father I can be. And uh, when I know when I'm being, when I'm a good dad and a good husband to my family, everything just seems to fall into place. All the surfing, that's, this is all, this is all the benefits of life. You know, the, the reason I was put on earth was to raise these kids and, you know, have an amazing family with my wife Tahiti. So this is the surfing part is, is all just, I'm so lucky to call that my job and my opportunity of like, you know, occupancy. It's, it's crazy. This is, you know, to be occupied as a professional surfer, like, I mean, that's it. I'm speechless every time I think about it. It's crazy. And, uh, I think 
you know, just continuing to do what I'm doing. I, I definitely have a, a, a big set of, of personal goals. That Jaws event was at the top, you know, coming back from this injury. And I, this year, you know, COVID's going to be, going to be hard, but you know, I want to, I want to break all the boundaries that I haven't broken yet with like big slabs with like putting together, you know, we, we made that shadow company movie a couple of years ago. And our, our idea of it was like, let's make the nutsest movie ever without airs in it. And me and Nate and Cora Rothman, you know, had this vision and Etienne Aurelius, we came together and we made like shadow company. It was a surf movie of just surfing, like the most perfectest, biggest barrels we could find. And that is something that we've been talking about and uh, revisiting on doing a little 2.0 version of chasing some of the biggest, heaviest waves we can this summer and documenting it all to give give people um, something to look at that they probably wouldn't think was possible until it's been done. Well, I mean, if anyone's earned it, uh, it's you, man. You can do almost anything. And uh, yeah, on the topic of giving people something to look at, we do need to mention that episode one of your docuseries, Billy, drops tomorrow, which will be February 24th on worldsurfleague.com and YouTube. And episodes two through six will drop every Sunday after that. We've got a couple more segments and we've got some listener questions for you. But first, we're going to take one more break to get a word in from our sponsors. Manduka was founded in 1997 with the simple idea that a better yoga mat could make a world of difference. For generations, Manduka has revolutionized the yoga space by providing purposely crafted products that enable a more joyful practice, whatever that looks like for you. The collaboration between Manduka and Jerry Lopez honors Jerry's profound dedication to both surfing and yoga disciplines. The limited edition collection showcases Jerry's signature camouflage print inspired by his surfboards. It fuses his iconic surf style with Manduka's commitment to quality and sustainability, offering everyone a unique expression of their practice. We all know that having the right gear is essential and a yoga mat is no different. Feel the benefits of yoga with Manduka's soulfully engineered, eco-friendly products designed to inspire your practice wherever you go. The Manduka and Jerry Lopez collection want to inspire you to practice yoga however you choose to. And from now until June 10th, you will get 15% off of all products when you visit manduka.com with the code THELINEUP15. That's manduka.com, code THELINEUP1515. All right, we went into the break talking about your docuseries, Billy, which kicked off with your trip to Morocco and a life-threatening injury that we've already touched on in this podcast. For 2021, the Lineup Podcast has launched a new segment, which is called the Top Five. And for you, we thought we would mine your brain and your experience for the top five most helpful actions that you've discovered on the road to recovery. Wow. Okay. Um, top five. I mean, for me, like if there's somebody out there, you know, this is a question I'm pretty frequently asked, like, what do you do for recovery? What'd you do for this? And every human's injury is different. You know, my injury is probably more similar to somebody who got hit by a car or like, you know, a pedestrian walking, got hit by a car. Like I think you're going to 
be pretty hard to find another surfer who's going to, you know, break their, I mean, B. Derbridge broke his pelvis, but just the way things happened, it was really rare. And, you know, for me, the simple things of if you're, you know, a surfer being, you know, that injured, the first thing is being back in water, you know, water is so healing and not being like, Oh, I need to be on a surfboard, but just, you know, I learned how to walk again in a pool. You know, I learned how to jump in a pool and that for me, you don't need a pool. You can use the ocean, but just really utilizing water as your foundation of recovery is going to be a very important aspect of this. And then, you know, that's, you know, one of them, another one would be just literally physical training. Like a lot of people don't like being in gyms, then step outside. You know, I know John John's told me before, like, I hate being in gyms. I was like, well, I love being in gyms, but you know, finding, you know, figuring out where to put in that work and not being scared of weights, not being scared of training like an athlete because you know surfers are professional athletes so you know utilizing fitness and you know training coming back from an injury is is probably one of the most important parts of it um another thing for me that was tremendously you know helpful was hyperbaric chambers i know this is you know probably i mean i'm very very grateful for my relationships and the people that i'm involved around so I was very fortunate to get a Oxy Health hyperbaric chamber, unbelievable for recovering and also for your mind and brain, just really letting your brain be stimulated and just letting everything settle. Um, it's uh, they're absolutely amazing. If people got uh, questions about it, you guys can direct message me on Instagram and I will give you all the feedback in the world. So they're going to ask go. you to use yours. That's what's going to come up. Like, I come over and do a session. <laughs> no, I can send I can send you where to go. Um, so that that's three. Two would be two would be, you know, something that's very, very un, you know, it, it, there's so many questions asked about this and in, in athletes, you know, where we use the word road to recovery. Mm. And this is this is something for anyone and everyone is the contrast between heat and ice. It's a I mean, everyone who's got social media sees it. It's kind of like the, it's like the new thing that everyone does is jump in a sauna and jump in an ice bath. Um, you know, why do you do it? There's so many different reasons, but you know, the main benefit is for recovery. Do I only do it when my body's sore? No, not at all. You know, I do it as sometimes as a workout for literally nothing but to strengthen my mind. And coming out of an injury with inflammation, you know, with, with blood circulation, with scar tissue, mobility, all of that stuff, everything, you know, the contrast between, you know, really hot saunas and going straight into ice bath and doing multiple rounds is the benefits that you will receive from that are going to be basically as high, higher than anything else out there. So, you know, that, that those, that's, you know, another one you know there's so many and th these are all aside from if you're injured you better be going to physical therapy every <laughs> day these is that your is that your number one because you've got a no. good list here right like you've no, got no. You, yep go on that's not um because i'm expecting every one of you guys to be going to physical therapy and <laughs> for your information if you asked how much i went to physical therapy i'm still surfing i feel like i'm at 100 and i still go to physical therapy a couple times a week so don't give up on it Lastly is going to be, 
you know, is, is going to be just like literally the balance of your mind of finding happiness and, you know, without happiness, you will not heal. And that's something that I dealt with being away from my children for, you know, I was in it, like, I hate, you know, complaining or, or, you know, sounding, uh, just like using that, but like, you know, having to be in California to receive the, the therapy and the training at the level that I was, and I wasn't trying to just recover normally. I was trying to recover like Wolverine. Like I wanted to be surfing jaws in six months after I, I should have died. You know, I mm -hmm. wanted to, I, and it wasn't, I wasn't going to push it and I wasn't going to hurt myself or risk anything, but I just wanted to work with the best in the world. And that being said that, you know, the best people I could find were in California and being away from my family at long periods of times and doing strictly nothing, but like four physical therapies a day, four different training sessions a day. My mind never left like a gym or strength or conditioning or like it was just, that's all my mind was at. And it's like, you know, you start to lose the joy for me of like, hearing my kids laugh, hearing my kids cry, you know, asking, hearing my kids ask me for help with their homework. Like that's what makes me normal and not having that. It took a toll on me and it took me into a place that I didn't, I wasn't comfortable with. You know, I don't, I've heard the word depression and you know, that, that disease being used so much. And I didn't even know that it existed until I was put into, you know, the situations I was put in of just, feeling dark and, and not happy with where I was at in life. And it's, um, life is about a balance. You know, it's not about going to the gym every day of your life. It's not about partying every day of your life or surfing every day of your life or watching your kids every minute of every day. It's about balancing everything out to where you're happy and you're, you're comfortable and you're proud of where you're at in life. Because if you're not proud of what you're doing, then you're probably doing something that you shouldn't be doing. And that's when your body is not healing at its max, max capacity. And for me, you know, it's like nutrition was a huge one. I'm, I work so deep into nutrition. Like we could have a whole nother conversation on that. I, I have a nutritionist and they've helped me tremendously. And that was all part of the balance. Did I eat junk food part on during my recovery? Yeah, I definitely had my days where, you know, I would, I would treat myself, but my nutrition was to the T my, my family time was to the T my physical therapy was to the T everything. I made a map and that map was my upbringing and my childhood. And that led me to right to where the forefront of this injury was and my life, you know, the, the, the roads I had to get through in my life was how I got through this injury. And it was just all balancing. You know, I lost my mom just a few years ago. I lost my brother as a young kid. I've lost my best friends, Chaz Chittister, Andrew Tennis, you know, Je Jeff from Maui. There's so many kids and friends that I've lost. And these are all ways and things that I've utilized in my toolbox of getting through, you know, life-threatening situations like this. And at the end of the day, like I said, you know, you're just walking down a balance beam. And unless you have a grasp on every aspect of life, you're not going to get through it. There's no way you can get through it, you know, just being on your own and, and not utilizing your other outlets of life. And for me, my main outlet is my family. So that's the one thing that I, um, 
I, I got to say is the most important part of, of coming back from, you know, severe injury is, is making sure your, your life is balanced and you have your priorities in order. That is a damn good top five. I'm into that one. All right. So the next segment, penultimate segment, we've got two more. Uh, these are questions from the Instagram community. We, we put the feeler out there and we got hundreds back. Uh, we whittled it down to three. First question from Instagram. Uh, outside Chris P asks, what does your morning routine consist of? Morning routine consists of, it just depends. I mean, let's just say middle of winter, I wake up probably around 5 a.m., 5.30, I go upstairs and I make myself a layered superfood coffee, um, a bullet coffee for all, anyone who's a coffee enthusiast. That's what I drink is a bullet coffee of my own ingredients. And um, from there, it's prepping breakfast for my kids to get ready for school um, while I make my hydration. And, you know, I basically get breakfast made, everything set, and I'm out the door by around 6.15 and jump into a training session at 6.30 with Kahea Hart while my wife comes upstairs, gets make sure the kids eat the food that I made, and I'm done at usually 7.30, 7.45, gets me right in time to take the kids to school at 8 a.m., drop the kids off at school at Sunset Elementary at 8, and I usually have a board in my car, and I'm off to put in some time at usually Sunset Piper Hall Eva. That's a lot. I got to do more in my mornings. <laughs> I just start with the layered coffee. Next yeah. question is from Daisy's Coldwater Surf Cream, who asks, how is it for you balancing surfing and a family? It's, it's, um, it's the greatest gift that life has given me, you know, to be able to, you know, I'm more passionate about surfing than, you know, anything in life aside from my family. And, you know, to be able to, to call surfing, you know, my, my career is, uh, it's a blessing. And is it hard? Very hard. You know, <laughs> it's Valentine's day and pipelines 12 feet, uh, babe, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's really hard. And it's not only with my wife with my kids, everything. And it's just, um, there's sacrifices that have to be made and it's, um, you know, having a team that that's will support you, the way my team does. I'm, I'm very lucky without my wife, none of this would be possible. So a very strong and um, supportive wife is, is definitely probably the key to balancing surfing and family. I like it. And the final question that we selected from the Instagram community comes from Samuel G minor who asks, where did you get your fighting spirit from? My brother, Eric and my mom, um, you know, there's, you know, my brother, Eric definitely you know, pass that on to me. And, um, my mom raised me into that when my mom was diagnosed with cancer, I seen a whole nother realm of strength and fight. You know, I didn't even know that this existed until this happened and, uh, just gave me this mindset to never give up on anything in life at any obstacle that life ever puts in front of you. There's always a will. There's always a way. Final segment is the lightning round. 10 questions you need to answer as fast as you can. If you could only have one board set up for the rest of your life, a single fin, twin fin, thruster, quad bonzer, or finless, which would you choose? Thruster. Coffee or tea? <laughs> Coffee now. <laughs> Burrito or pizza? Oof. Burrito. Last book you read? Um, 
I can't tell you that. <laughs> Best I don't surf- remember. <laughs> All right. I thought it was just secret, secret knowledge. No. Best surf film ever. Best surf film ever. HGA movie, infamous, first one ever, 2000, oh, not even 2019, 1999. Okay, okay. I was in it, HGA Ho'okipa Grom Association. <laughs> one wave you never have to go back to. Apocalypse. If you only get to surf one wave for the rest of your life. Is it good every day? If you like. <laughs> um pipe and backdoor pipeline best person to share the lineup with oh my son worst person to share the lineup with <laughs> hmm worst person to share the lineup with this is such a good one you know what's funny it'll probably be color rothman just because every time I'm in the spot for a good wave, he's just a foot deeper than me. <laughs> and it's not even that he's aggressive with me. It's just that that he he's my best friend. But he's always, like, there could be 300 people out in the water, and he'll be a foot deeper than me when I'm in the perfect spot. I'm like, how? You guys are buddies. He just wants to hang out. Yeah. Last one. Finish this sentence. I will next achieve a state of happiness by... Uh, playing with my kids when we're done with this podcast. Right on, man. Billy Kemper, thanks so much for joining us on the lineup. Congrats for everything you've achieved. And everyone check out the Billy docuseries. It's amazing. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. And yeah, look forward to sharing what I've been working on the last year. So uh, yeah, tomorrow's a really big day for my family, my team, my friends, and WSL to release Billy. So that's it. That's the lineups conversation with Billy Kemper. I hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you check out his new docuseries, Billy, which drops tomorrow, February 24th, on worldsurfleague.com and the WSL YouTube page. It is amazing. This episode is produced by Ryan Fawcett with art direction by Jason Penning. Thanks to both of them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges that it is recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, Keach to Wagner and the native Hawaiian people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. 
Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup.